hear me. Скажи мне, американец, в чем сила? А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая, лепота. Таможня дает добро. И вообще не называй меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? Вот кто я? Отныне русские земля единый быть. Hi, my name's Ali. This is the Rus Files Unite podcast where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I'm joined by a guest, and today my guest is Alex. Hi, Alex. Hello. So, Alex, uh, could you tell the listeners uh, a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. Uh, my name's Alex. I am a writer and trainer, uh, and I work with people who work with children and young people. Okay, so what are you training them to do? Uh, generally to do uh, church-based children's and youth work, uh, training them in lots of different techniques, uh, how to uh, explore different ideas with children and young people, how to help people with additional needs, uh, join in, to their fullest, uh, and then uh, anything else that people ask me. <laughs> Fair enough. So it's quite a like a creative, sort of dramatic... Yes, yeah. Drama plays a big part, certainly in the training. Sure. Um, uh, a lot of that is acting and entertainment, to the most part, so that you help people enjoy what could be quite dry subjects. Sure, yeah, because often it's not necessarily the material, it's just how it's presented in, in, a lot of, in a lot of cases. Or maybe it is dry material. Well, but... it's a mixture, actually. Yeah. And people, uh, most of the people I work with are volunteers. So they're giving up a Saturday or uh, a weekday evening. And so mm. you don't want them to give up their precious free time and then be bored or wish they were somewhere else. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. If it's, if it's kind of like your work and you have to be there and you're getting paid to be there, then, you know, motivation comes along. But yeah. if it's... Uh, um, so you've also done, um, in terms of the film we're watching today, we're going to be watching Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. You've been in some musicals yourself over the years. Yeah, that's right. It's one of my uh, major hobbies is to be involved in the production and performance of mainly musicals or musical concerts. Uh, so I've been in a wide range of different musicals across the years, but never Fiddler on the Roof. So... Okay, so maybe maybe in future. Maybe in future. I think I'm not quite old enough to play the main character yet. I was, was going to so. say you still still got a few years or some very heavy makeup before yes. you're before you're uh, yeah Tevia ready. But That's right. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not convinced that, you, that, that at the moment you'll pass for having you know like <laughs> three or four basically adult daughters. No, no, I don't think I would pass for that, and I can't grow a good enough beard. Either. Oh yeah. So there'll be fake beards ahoy if yeah. I were to play it. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, casting calls are much easier for Tevia these days with, you know, the sort of whole hipster beard. Yeah, thing. hipster beard is a, is, yeah. a, is a good thing if you want to play Tevia. Although maybe the slick back hair, less so. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't think he had a man bun. Yeah, you'll, you'll stand out a little bit in the shtetl. <laughs> 
Yes, yes, not very traditional. Um, so you probably picked up, if you've seen the film before, that we've both seen this one already. Um, yeah, I've seen both the film and uh, the last time I saw this story was uh, uh, an amateur production in Kettering, of all places. Oh, OK. Um, so, yes, that was the last time I saw it. I've seen it on stage more recently than seeing it uh, on screen. So yeah, so it's been um, it's been a few years. Then. Yeah, so the the plot is a little bit hazy for me, and where all the songs come, uh, and what the purpose of the songs are, and and how they all play out is a, is a little bit hazy. So I'm looking forward to catching up with it again. Sure. Now, before we get into the film, I feel like I am obliged to put in a bit of a disclaimer. Now, as far as our subject matter for this podcast in general, it's Russian Russian culture, things with a Russian connection but this one is probably on the more tangential you know dubious as a uh, as being included the reason i've decided to include it okay the real reason is that i like this film i enjoyed watching it and i wanted to watch it again (laughs) and i wanted to have alex on the on the program this seemed like a good way of linking it in um but uh, in terms of like justification as this being a russian connected film well my justification is it happened in the Russian Empire. That's right. And it's based on stories. Now, I tried to pr- pronounce his uh, surname and I can't remember it. Uh, so, um, yes, the name of the original writer who the story is based on is, I'm going to have a go at it, is go Sholem Alechem. Uh, yeah, I think I, I'd agree with you there. <laughs> um, uh, not being a Russian speaker myself or indeed a Yiddish speaker. No. Um, so, yeah. yeah, they were all written in Yiddish, but written, you know, by him. Um, and uh, he had Terve the Dairyman, I think, was his yeah, base. Yeah. And Terve and his daughters is another book of his. So they're all, yeah. you know, written. Uh, the base stories are all written from that Jewish, Yiddish, uh, Russian perspective or yeah. Ukrainian perspective. Yes. And um, uh, they will have been westernised to fit sure. the, um, the more traditional 1950s, 60s musical style. Sure, but, yeah. you know, that, that base material is still there. So. Yeah. The reason I, I, I'm i glad you brought up the, the Ukrainian thing, because um, so my understanding of it from, you know, wikipedia and then, you know, finding slightly more reliable Encyclopedia like, <laughs> Britannica online... You know, frantic research last night was that um, the area where a lot of Jewish people in the Russian Empire lived was called the Cheta Asiedlosti, which is the Pale of Settlement, mm-hmm. which was, as if I'm understanding it right, uh, Catherine the Great basically decided that all the Jews in the Russian Empire should live in this place. And if you want to settle somewhere else, tough, you're going to the Pale of Settlement. Mm. But where the Pale of Settlement is, I think uh, most of it is in... Um, modern Ukraine. Uh, I think a bit of it is in Belarus, and I think it extends into in, into Poland. So there's not much of what is now Russia no. included within it. So no. that makes it a bit of a like controversial subject with recent events. But I think that's I'm going to tiptoe around it, and then <laughs> I'm going to now cowardly uh, uh, make a cowardly retreat. <laughs> but just wanted to acknowledge that yes. The place that this is set, it's a fictional uh, shtetl, like Jewish, um, mostly Jewish. I think they were kind of mi- they could be mixed to an extent, but the shtetl was would have been somewhere that's now no longer in what modern Russia is. Yeah, I think I think the shtetl certainly in the film is predominantly Jewish, but there there is always that pressure from outside where non-Jews would surround would live around them, and there would always be that worry about how. 
the Russian army and the, I suppose you say, Gentile settlements around them yeah. would react to yeah. them. And there was always that sense of danger that I think was portrayed in, in the original source material and in the film too. Um, so yeah, there is a mix of, of people in the Pale of Settlement, but that's where all the Jewish people would live, yeah. Yeah. All right, um, before, we, before we move on to the film, uh, you've actually spent some time living in Eastern Europe or <laughs> yourself, which I wanted to ask you about. I have, yes. So um, after leaving university, I went to live in uh, Brno in the Czech Republic, and I was there for a couple of years, uh, and I taught English as a foreign language, uh, hey, former English teachers, unite. Um, so it was a fascinating place to live, actually. I went there probably around, hmm, yeah, eight or nine years after communism had fallen. And it was, they'd been an individual country separate from uh, Slovakia for a slightly less time than that. So it was still finding its feet in terms of mm. uh, what kind of a country it was. And the towns, the, the bigger towns like Prague and Brno, which was the second city, we're slightly ahead of the rest of the country in terms of being westernised and being opened up to the rest uh, of the world. So, yeah, it was an interesting time to be there, actually, as people found their way and turned, were still turning their gaze from the east to the west. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, there was still a lot of anxiety about communism. Would it come back? Would it or... come back? Okay. Yeah, so... Certainly one of, one of my colleagues, at least, was very active in anti-communism mm. rallies and things like that. So concerned was she and her family that, that you know, communism might make a comeback. Uh, and obviously it wasn't something that they particularly wanted to return to. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I mean, that's less so now they're in the European Union. But um, yeah, when I was there, they weren't in the Union as, it's, as such. So uh, they were still quite concerned. But yeah, a fascinating place and really good to get to know people from a different culture because although I'm sure your listeners will realise in terms of being in Russia although some of it is very similar to being in Britain or where, or in America or wherever you there is there are bits of it which are just flummoxing mm. and you think I've no idea why culturally you have done what you have just done but it's something that you would normally do every day that I just don't understand and so yeah I would sometimes think I've got this check thing sorted and then something would, you know, massive culture shock would come along and um, uh, unnerve me slightly. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot here, but can you think of anything, like, specific that was... Um, no, no, I can't actually. I just <laughs> remember being that, that happening uh, a lot. And so I, it might just be uh, certain ways of doing things. Mm. It might just be uh, certain attitudes that people have that I would take for granted the opposite of what they thought yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that would be surprising. So anything from somebody told me off for wearing shoes in my own house. Once. Oh yes, yeah. So uh, that, that that definitely rings true to yeah. uh, experiences I had in Russia. No, so I would always take my shoes off when I went to somebody else's house, but if it was my own house, I wouldn't bother. And somebody <laughs> came and visited me and told me off. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, that's a good point. I can't remember whether whether I learned not to have my shoes on indoors early on in my time in Russia because once I've been there a while, I just started doing it because you know you started having people over more often yeah. and people would kind of go what are you doing <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah and and i think probably because it's where it, you know they weren't they hadn't been open up to lots of different cultures for for that long they would be surprised by different ways of doing things so sure. you know the british way of doing something or you know i had some friends who were indians and some friends who were americans all those different ways of doing things actually 
were quite foreign to them. And so they couldn't cope with non-Czech speakers speaking Czech, you know. So, oh, okay. So, they, but they, they were, yeah, they were, if I did, got everything right, it was fine. But if I made any mistakes, they could not understand what I was saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, that rings true with my experience speaking speaking Russian as well, as people aren't, well, in Russia is a bit different because you have various ethnic groups from around the former Soviet Union mm-hmm. and also within the modern Russian Federation who Russian isn't their first language. Yeah. So they're used to hearing a certain se- section of what would be like fluent non-native Russian speakers mm-hmm. who can communicate very effectively but not very grammatically like absolutely on point. But coming across someone like me who just doesn't have the vocabulary is kind of stuttery, find it hard to put a sentence together. They're mm-hmm. just like, oh, I can't bother with this most of the time, which is understandable. But, um, you know, just growing up as native English speakers in a fairly diverse part of the world, we're kind of used to people having various, you know, levels of command of English. And we're just like... That's true. And I think because English is the lingua franca for most of the world... Uh, you know, you, you are used to hearing English spoken in a whole variety of ways, and you are yeah. used to getting the meaning from you know a whole way of saying things, lots of different ways of saying things, yeah. which isn't the same if you speak a language that is, you know, ten million people. Yeah, you know, you're not used to people trying to speak your language and doing it badly. Yeah, and using all the different you know wrong genders and things like that at various points. And it, yeah, that people found it very hard to understand me if I was using the wrong form yeah. of a certain word. For yeah. Example. Well, I'm guessing Czech has all the fun and, or at least a lot of the same fun ending stuff declension that Russian has. Yes, that's right. I mean, it, it has the bonus of being in Latin script, but um, yes, it has very difficult. Consonant sounds certainly that are hard to wrap your mouth around, and so yes, they take some mastering as well. Okay, so um, I think we should probably get back to the to the movie. So uh, what we always do, if you're if you're a regular listener, you'll know we say "payechali," which is what Yuri Gagarin said when he was blasting off to be the first man in space. But given that we're watching our first musical for the podcast, I thought we would sing it. <laughs> Okay. One, two, three. Payeholi. That was beautiful. <laughs> I'm sure if anybody hasn't already switched off, they have done that. So, welcome back. We've just watched Fiddler on the Roof uh, from 1971, directed by Norman Jewison. Um, and before we get into what we thought of it, Alex is going to give us a quick plot summary. I am. That's right. Yes. So, set at the turn of the 20th century in uh, 1905 in a fictional little village in probably in Ukraine called Anatevka. It focuses on Tervia, uh a father who's married to Golda, and they have four, no, five daughters. Um, which he's thrilled about. Which he is thrilled about, because it means that he has very little dowry to spare. They're a very poor family, and he has to provide dowry for each of them. And it centres around, well, on the face of it, it centres around the marriage of their daughters. But also there's this great idea of change 
that goes through the whole film. So, um, or not, or not, as the case may be. So his first daughter uh, has an, a marriage arranged in the traditional way, which then never happens because she announces her love for a poor tailor, uh, and Terbia allows this to go ahead. The second daughter falls in love with a firebrand from Kiev. Uh, and they don't ask for his permission. They ask for his blessing. They only ask for his blessing. And so another step further, and Teruya allows it to happen. Again, somewhat reluctantly. Somewhat reluctantly, but he still, he thinks he's moving with the times, but the third daughter comes along and falls in love with a Russian soldier. And this Teruya cannot, uh, won't stretch that far to allowing his daughter to marry outside the Jewish faith. But they do it anyway. And so this daughter, uh, Chava, is then dead to Terevya. And also through the film, there is a theme of change in terms of the Russian Revolution. As the firebrand from Kiev, Perchik, he ferments um, revolution in the city and is arrested and sent to Siberia. And also then there's a change of the village itself as... um, the Russian authorities become more and more heavy-handed with the dealings uh, with the Jewish inhabitants of Anatevka, and eventually they're all forced to leave uh, by an edict coming from St. Petersburg. So, in a very unhappy ending, the musical ends with the Jewish villagers leaving and going their separate ways, leaving Anatevka for uh, anywhere from Krakow to Chicago. And there we leave it. And Terry and his, the, what remains of his family go off to New York. And just next door to Chicago, apparently. Next door to Chicago, so, yes. Thank you for that summary. You managed to cram a three-hour <laughs> movie into into that tiny little space. That's kind of a miracle of, uh, of compression. Um, you'd seen it before. How did it measure up to your recollection of it did you enjoy it more or less um I, it's really interesting because i think because the last time i saw it it was on stage mm. uh, and i was mesmerized by the accents in that particular production uh, oh, tell me about the accents well uh, terevi and golda decided to go full-on russian uh, kind of yiddish um but the further down the cast list you got the more kettering they sounded <laughs> as it was, it was being done in kettering um for uh, for listeners outside of the UK, Kettering is kind of in the vicinity of London. It's the yeah, it's the East Midlands. It's between London and Birmingham ish. Okay, so yeah, yeah. yeah. See, my geography even slightly. <laughs> <off there. laughs> um, so yes, I just sat there for most of the time watching that, wondering why the director had allowed some people to be Russian and some people to be obviously British. Yeah, I think you either do yeah, all yeah. or nothing. Yeah. So yeah, but um, it made me really think about. Change actually, that's the one big thing that came through of this rewatch mm. uh, of the film. In terms of the, you see, the very first number of the musical is called Tradition and it outlines the roles of all the people in the village and indeed probably in the, uh, the Jewish faith in terms of this, the tradition that's built up around it. So the role of the father and the mother and the children. And it really sets the scene for this is how things are, this is the way we do things. And it's always been this way. And it's always been this way, yes. And And so there's a lovely bit where Tevye says, "Uh, let me explain this tradition to you. And then he pauses for effect. And I don't know. (laughs) We've just been doing it a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it's all, you know, this is what holds us together. And throughout the film, that tradition is kind of chipped away at. Hmm. And uh, Tervier 
is forced to or allows himself to bend to these new ways of doing things until, of course, his daughter decides that she wants to marry outside the faith and for him that's a step too far. But, yeah, all these changes happen and, yeah, that, that really kind of made me think about how communities put up these barriers to stop, to retain their distinctiveness, really, I think that is, and to stop kind of... Not infection from the outside world, but the outside world having an impact on them. And there was a mm. lot of uh, the older men when there was only seems to be only one man in the village of Anatevka who could read Russian. Yeah, and yeah. so he would be relied on from news from the outside world. And a lot of times he ran in with a paper, and they seemed they said they didn't care about what the outside world was doing and what right. was happening. Oh, we're not interested. Yeah, we're it not interested. Yeah, so that whole kind of looking inwards and being this is how we do things. The rest of the country doesn't matter in terms of, but this is how, but they can't stop that change coming in. They, you know, Terve's own family suddenly has change happening all over the place, but the, the village too. Uh, and the country as a whole, you know, with the, it's, it's not long until the revolution happens. Yeah, because in 1905, I mean, this is set. It's not. Totally specific, but it's a. It's probably if it's not 1905, it's immediately before. Mm-hmm. Of course, you don't have the proper Russian resolutions happening for you know another 12 years, but they have this basically series of revolts and uprisings all across the country that year. So mm-hmm. it definitely, yeah, it does a really good job of capturing that. There's that stuff is afoot. I yes, guess. yeah, uh, and all the you know the the pale of settlement you know, comes to an end with the end the end of the Russian involvement in First World War, that mm. pile of settlement kind of all comes to place. So it's all happening and even if they didn't get cleared out by the authorities at the end of the film, they would be gone you know Yeah. Yeah. They would be living in a completely different place come the end of the First World War. So Yeah. Yeah, this old idea of things changing and but you're trying to grip onto the way that you've always done something to retain your identity. And yet things happening to, that are beyond your control in terms of, you know, getting in your way of, of upholding that particular way of doing things. Yeah. That really spoke to me, actually. It's really interesting. Um, did you enjoy the, the performances? I did. I think uh, Topol, who played Terbier, uh that is such an iconic performance that everyone who does plays Terebia after that always owes a debt to Topol mm, and the way mm. that he performs it. So Yeah, we, uh, we were talking while we were watching it a bit about his kind of like this drunken kind of arm slash chest upper body <laughs> shake thing that he does. Yeah. Uh, regardless of whether his character has had too much to drink, and there is one incident where he gets very drunk with Laser Wolf, who we think is going to be marrying um, his first daughter. But, but yes, um, interesting thing about about that is that I think that was a bit of a controversial casting choice mm-hmm. because um, on on Broadway he'd been played by Zero Mostel. Oh yes, which yeah. I'm <laughs> I have to say uh, I'm quite glad that it was Topple because I thought he was great, but also because I've seen about half of the original producers and I was on the I was on a plane. I was tired. It's not the best time to see a film, but I was so massively irritated. <laughs> By Zero Mostel, it was kind of like I, I'm just kind of transposing. Of course, you know he's an actor, so he, I'm, I'm sure he didn't pry it exactly the same way. But in my mind, he's being as <laughs> annoying as he was in that. In this, and I'm going, nope. 
I'm glad it's the way that it is, but yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, and Zero Mostel went on to to own other iconic performances, mm. like um, like the, his role in The Producers and like his role in A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, oh, where he that. plays uh, the main character, the slave, who is a kind of ducking and diving, trying to survive in a difficult yeah. world kind of slave. And so, he, yeah, he really made that part himself. But it's not un, not unheard of for... Broadway shows to be turned into films, but the original stars not to make it on celluloid. Um, yes, I'm trying to think of My Fair Lady is the, the yes. biggest example of that, where yeah. uh, Julie Andrews played it on stage, but they decided to... Oh, I've got myself into trouble now. Audrey Hepburn. That's right. That's right. But in the end, they put Audrey Hepburn on and dubbed her voice when she was singing. So, yeah. yeah. And Julie Andrews never, ever got another role in her life. <laughs> No, it's being flippant, but yeah. But um, yeah, uh, but yes, I mean, Topol obviously is outstanding in this. Uh, and even with his little drunken dance, which everybody then, whenever you play Topol, you have to put that little drunken dance in. And you have to sing, yeah. you sing mm. all, you sing it all the way Topol sang it. Yeah. Otherwise, people don't recognise it. Yes. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is not terrible. Um, yeah. So yeah, but uh, some of the other performances were good too. Yeah, who else did you like? I liked Golda. Uh, I thought she was the right like, mix of affection and severity, you might say. Yeah. In terms of that yes. traditional mother role that she played there, I think. Yes, yeah. it was it was kind of interesting because um Tevye, in the midst of all this change and upheaval, some of the time he has a little mini tantrum and tries to put <laughs> his foot down and she's kinda of like mm, Yeah, really. <laughs> Um, and there, I thought Motel, who plays uh, the tailor who marries, eventually marries Terrier's first daughter, yeah, uh, Seidel. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed his performance too. Yeah, yeah. And it was nice to see um, some future stars of BBC sitcoms uh, appear as well. Ruth Maddock. Oh, yes. Uh, Fruma Sarah, who only appears in a dream sequence. And I thought she was excellent. I yes, really it, I, I was hoping you would mention her because, yeah, you're, as you say, not in it for very long, but giving maximum effort for the time. Oh, yeah, she certainly does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it kind of goes all sort of hammer horror for that, that grave <laughs> sequence, doesn't it? Um, yeah. I like it. I, I remember seeing that because uh, the first time I saw it, I hadn't. You know, I had very little idea of what it was about. And I was surprised how kind of... I mean, it's hammy, but it's a creepy kind of hammy. They do it quite They do it quite well. And that's the other thing that I thought, actually, is the way that uh, faith is woven into it. Uh, but also there's a superstition around it, too. Mm. Uh, and so there's a yeah. lot of superstition, a lot of spitting. Yes, especially Golda. Yeah. Golda to ward off Eli's and... Um, all of that business, but and and that was all woven into the dream sequence. Where basically, Teravia is trying to get his first daughter out of their her arranged marriage so that yeah. she can marry the tailor. Yeah. But, but he has to convince his wife, and so he pretends yes. that he's had a dream uh, where the butcher uh, Laser Wolf, who is the intended uh, in the arranged marriage. His Who's first probably wife. older than Tevye. Yeah, he is. I think yes. I think he is older than Tevye, isn't he? His first wife comes to um, Tevye in this fake dream to say that this marriage shouldn't go ahead yeah. and she will ruin their marriage if. Well, if or, goes... or will she actually come in the night and kill? Uh... <laughs> that was one way of ruining her marriage. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that that whole thing kind of plays on that superstition and um, yeah. being able to see your ancestors. So. Terry very cleverly starts the dream off with his wife's 
grandmother. Yes, it? who's uh, also called Cyclops. Who's also called Cyclops. Uh, yeah, and so there's all he he that realm of superstition and and all these things that are built that build up around faith and actually. Mm. You think, well, that's not, um, you know, when you think about a superstition, you think, well, I don't think that's actually a, a founding part of this faith. Yeah, but you kind of feel like if you've talked to the rabbi about it, you know, like, I'm not sure you should really be doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it, I I really like that that sequence. It's it, it's it's a lot of fun, but it does have a kind of creepy. It does, yeah, it. yeah. And when they they end up in a double bed in a grave, <laughs> yeah, with everyone looking over them, throwing throwing. Dirt onto them yeah. as if they were going to bury them. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that is, yeah. you know, when you think about it, it's quite a spooky ending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's funny that all the other ghosts are terrified of Prima Sarah, although presumably she's the same thing as, <laughs> yes, as they are. Right, yeah. All running away. Yeah, she bursts out from from underneath the ground when everyone else is it's just all, kind of sitting around. Yeah, they're kind of they're all dead and covered in cobwebs yeah. and you know pale and yeah. gothy. <laughs> but yes, but she's actually still buried in the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a great sequence. Yeah, so Tevia is 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 quite a quite a rogue um he's 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 funny because he's i mean yeah well he's funny for a start yeah he is he is amusing he he's as that sequence demonstrates and that ruse he's not above bending the truth a little bit no no, that's true um he does have this this one bit early on where he he winds up one of his neighbors by reminding them of like how because they had this dispute over this oh, price yes. of this horse and he goes oh it was it was 12 years old when he yeah. told them it was six and then it just starts this this argument off yeah that's uh, that's isn't it because it's an argument that happened a long time ago yeah and and they, he says oh and they're they're friends now and then he immediately reignites the argument he just whispers in yeah. the guy's ear and yeah. the whole thing blows up and there's a massive argument about this really old dispute isn't there yeah so yes he is very mischievous and even though he's not very learned and not very, you know, he's the milkman, so he doesn't hold an important role. He no. still seems to be the the focus of the village. Yeah, everyone he, was... yeah, everyone respects him, and you know, will come to him to talk to him. And so several times, I know probably because he's the main character in the musical, therefore everyone comes to him. But he seems still to be the focus of the village. Well, and he's thoughtful. I mean, it makes a point of how. He wants his daughters to be married to learned people, so mm-hmm. he kind of values that. I mean, yeah. partly perhaps for the status thing, but in each of the cases when they're talking about the daughters being being married off, it actually kind of stops and it pauses, and it's basically freeze freeze frame. They and they play it very similarly each time in terms mm. of when it's shot, like you see yeah. the daughter a long way off. I think the funniest instance is when he's he's talking to uh, Laser Wolf actually, and he's explaining. That he wants to he wants to marry his daughter, <laughs> yes. and it freeze freeze frames to his face, <laughs> uh, Laser Wolf's uh, old beardy face, and he's just thinking, and he goes, on the other hand, on the other hand, on the other hand, like four or five times, yeah. and just kind of he thinks everything through in his in his mind, and you know reasons it out, and often ends up going kind of the way he sort of wanted to, but he's yeah he's clearly a very thoughtful guy and it's you don't often see films that have a character who has such a like you know from our early 21st early-ish 21st century viewpoint like quite a menial job Mm -hmm. portrayed in such a kind of thoughtful yeah 
way, I guess. Yeah. Which is nice for a change. Yeah, he is very philosophical about things, isn't he? In terms of it. And that's, you see that when he prays, he's just chatting to God. So he's not, it's all very down to earth. Yeah. In a way as well. So rather than seeing the rabbi pray or seeing them, when the few times you see them in the synagogue. Uh, and how they act there. Actually, when he's doing it, it's a very, it seems a very real faith that he has and a very real thinking process that he has about how he makes his decisions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so when he's talking about whether he should allow, you know, some, his daughters to marry whoever, where, when he has those kind of things when everyone else yeah. freezes and he goes on the other hand, that's, yeah, you can see his real, his, his workings in action and his faith in action and his love of his family in action yeah. there as well. And it is very, yeah, philosophical and uh, humane. Is that the right word? It's very, it's a very human portrayal of, of yeah, a character yeah. who could be very caricatured and is at times very caricatured. Sure. But. And and I think you know if you told this this story from a different character's observer's point of view and you didn't see the kind of the internal mm-hmm. monologue and him talking to God, then you just yeah you wouldn't necessarily know all the stuff that's that's going on. Yeah, I mean, it's a great Basil Exposition uh, yeah, way device. of doing a device, but um, it's very effective, much better than a voiceover or something like that, because mm, it's mm. part of the his character. Yeah, and it's quite clever how they do it, because initially it's like he starts off like properly breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience. Yeah. But later on, he's always kind of doing it with his eyes looking up, and it's more like... He's not talking to you, the audience, particularly. He's talking to God, but you're kind of getting to sit in on the conversation. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting... Yeah. And he always looks the same way when he prays. He always looks up and up yeah. into the right. And you yeah. think, oh, he's praying. You know, yeah. I know yeah, he's yeah, praying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Up yeah. into the right. But it's more of a sort of a chat. Than yeah. A, uh, which is which is interesting to yeah. see. Shown that way. Oh, gosh. there's <laughs> We have to get into the difficult Russia, <laughs> Russian stuff. Well, I mean... Uh, I think you mentioned earlier, you know, there. I mean, Jews and the Jewish people have been persecuted by lots and lots of different... So actually, this story could have been set in quite a lot of places. Sure, In yeah. terms of where, you know, uh, you know, right across Europe, uh, Jewish people have been persecuted. So, you know, although it sits in uh, a Russian context here, yeah. within this Russian uh, Pale of Settlement and, and the edicts coming from St. Petersburg... It could have been set anywhere, really, yeah. in terms of the the change and the community trying to remain the same while outward pressures sure. want it to change. Yeah, um, and time rushing on, and you know, new ideas coming in. So yeah. I thought that was quite interesting, actually. I thought the um, uh, the constable character was they did quite a lot with not very much screen time with him. You see the fellow with the moustache with the big. Big black, the good, good mustache that one. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so the legendary cinematic mustaches. <laughs> no, yeah. um, didn't he have grey hair and a black mustache? Yes, oh, always suspicious. A distinctive look, but yeah, <laughs> he was he was initially, you know, his relationship with Tevya anyway was portrayed as somewhat sympathetic. Mm. Like he he respected Tevya, albeit with caveats. He he kind of said, you know, you're you're a pretty good guy, even though you're a Jew. Yes. And it's kind of like, Tevye's like, hmm, thanks for the compliment. So Doesn't he you, say, I've never had a compliment like that before? Yes, like I think that. he does. Well, you yeah, don't get a compliment like that very often. Or something yeah, like that. which is kind of like, that is a horrible thing to say. <laughs> but yes, he's, but it's kind of, he's gone to, 
I mean, he's clearly a very flawed character, mm-hmm. but he sort of tried to do something rather than just nothing. You kind of see that he really hates having to carry out his orders, but he's just, I guess, caught in a position where he feels like, you know, it's carry out my orders or lose my job or something worse. Yeah. So he just he uh, does, he, ultimately. There is that scene with him, in presumably in his police station, whatever you yeah. used to call it, where his superior comes and tells him that he has to do a mini pogrom also, yeah. almost. Yeah. Uh, just, to, just to, you know keep the Jews on their toes. I don't know why you would do it, but yeah. And so, but he, he resists that. Um, or, he, or he at least offers some, some pushback. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. you, you get the, you get the feeling that this superior is kind of like very committedly anti-Semitic, whereas the constable himself is too, but in a more kind of casual and he doesn't particularly want to stir things up. You yeah. Know, he, looks down on the Jews because they're different, although he can clearly not so much that he has no respect for Tevye, because he obviously he mm-hmm. seems to like him. Yeah. But yeah, it's just that he ultimately doesn't have the... I, you know, it's, it seems really judgmental to say the courage, because I've never been in that situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's kind of almost like the, yeah, the sort of classic dilemma I was only following orders type yeah type that's thing. true but they could have they could have just portrayed him as just being a heartless like one dimensional you know evil baddie who's just there to yeah and, that, like, and it... to just kind of to persecute them and move the plot on whereas they actually give him a bit more of a yeah other side to him yeah I mean the Russians some of the Russians are portrayed as you know um hooligans and you know racist thugs but there are those two sympathetic russian characters like you said the 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 policeman sergeant constable whoever he was and yeah the, sympathetic at least up to a up point. to a point yeah. but yes and so yes he's not willing to put his own life in danger yeah. to help uh, the jewish people of anatevka but then the russian who ends up marrying uh Teres third daughter Chava, yeah he is much more so he gets very little screen time, but actually he is perhaps the most sympathetic Russian in that he gives up his life in Anatevka to go and when that when all the Jews have to leave, he goes as well. Because yeah, he doesn't yeah. want to stick around where people are being poorly treated like that. And so yeah, actually Which is what he says. Yeah, yeah. And so actually he is you know, he goes and they, they, they end up going off to Poland. Yeah. Um and there's a tragic irony in that because, you know, from the point of a view of a, a audience at our time or, you know, watching it back at, on oh, Broadway, you would 70s, know yeah. that people who had ended up in Krakow, especially if one of them was Jewish, yeah. their yeah, descendants would be in would, trouble. Would have so. been in trouble or, or even, you know, for young people like that in their old age. Yeah. They're like, oh, yes. They're, they're yeah. about, you know, late teens. That's right. So, so yeah, they've jumped they've, 40 years forward. And, yeah, they're yeah, only 50s, 60s. Yeah, yeah, so could conceivably be around. So there's a kind of a horrible kind of irony or yes. subtext there. You if might... you read too much into it, I yeah, guess. Well, I don't know. well, let's hope they made it to America or yeah. something like that. Yes, yeah. Where everyone else was going. Yeah. So... It's funny because it's it's such a it's such a bleak and down ending. Where at 
or I guess second half of the film, but the first half of the film is just quite joyous, even though life is tough. Yes. I, I quite like that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of... Well-known, if I were a rich man, is, is the most well-known. Which people know, even if they don't know that that's what it's from. They know that... Yeah, yeah, biddy biddy bum. But other things like Tradition and Sunrise Sunset um a matchmaker actually people yes. might know matchmaker as well they all occur in the first act yeah and yeah, then yeah. the second act is much as you say is much more downbeat because the wheels come off Tervez wagon almost yeah. in his family and in his um in the village too so yeah. do you have a favorite of the songs uh i was thinking that actually um I quite liked this this the very final song Anatevka mm. uh where they describe where they're all told to leave and they're resigned to leaving and they're basically trying to convince themselves that Anatevka is not really a play, you know, it's nothing to them, you know, yeah. well, what do we have here? Just a piece of cloth, just a stick of wood, that's all Anatevka is. Whilst conveying that actually no. <laughs> yeah, when, um, and so, you know, they they it's a song they end up leaving and I quite like that song too. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, If I Were a Rich Man is a, is a fun song. Yeah. As his matchmaker. Yeah, um, I like... But, I- because I, I used to be, I wanted to mention this in the introduction and just kind of forgot it, but I used to be very down on musicals and just like <laughs> write off a whole genre of film, um, you know, and indeed theatre, because I was just kind of like the usual sort of literalist, like, well, that doesn't happen. People don't start singing in the middle of things. But I like the fact that it gives you time to explore ideas in an entertaining way that you would be hard to do in the same in the same way if it was you know a realistic drama with the same with the same plot like the whole matchmaker thing in particular i like how it starts off with uh one of the three elder daughters being not all that excited about the fact that the matchmaker's here and then the next two down from her just being all swoony and like oh matchmaker matchmaker yeah. make me a match and you know wouldn't being married be fantastic and lovely? But as they explore it through the song, where they come to the conclusion that this is a lottery and there's a chance that we really won't do well out of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the one of the sisters pretends to be the matchmaker for the mm. other two, That's and she very she makes yeah. she um she she comments that one of the fiction you know the imaginary men who's going to marry her sister he, he drinks a lot, yeah, and beats his wife when he's sober. But, but don't worry, he's because he's be... always drunk. So there we go, and you just think, "Whoa, that's a yeah. bit dark." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's interesting to to think about that song, and then think about where they ended up in terms of how you know idealistic they were when they started singing that song. Yeah, uh, and yet when they actually get married, increasingly they are in increasingly difficult situations that were that are not the ones that they imagined when they were. At the beginning of the the, the show, yeah. singing matchmaker. So you know, yeah. one one ends up with a, a man they loves, but she loves, but they don't have anything. Yeah. Another. I mean, did you write that phrase down about? Um, oh yes, yes. Um, where was it? They're uh, so happy. They're they're so happy. They don't they don't realize how miserable they are. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's that's the first couple. But the second couple, yeah. when her Perchik gets arrested in Kiev, and is sent to Siberia, Hoddle goes to Siberia, and that's yeah. quite a sad. Uh, farewell on yeah, the train tracks. Oh, very much there? so. I love the way that shot as well. Just like the, you just have this very stark 
you know, not very substantial railway huts, and just yeah. some of the angles they do with the train just look look beautiful. It just looks incredibly bleak. Yes, and you know, if you've ever said goodbye to somebody at an airport or a railway station at some point, you can kind of relate to that. Except she's a basically, yeah, still teenage girl, maybe seventeen, eighteen, and she's going on a train from somewhere in modern day Ukraine all the way to Siberia back then on her own when she wouldn't have gone pretty much anywhere in her life. She possibly hadn't left the village before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, even if you're a 17-year-old now, you know, you will have gone on trip, you know, school trips and bus rides to places that are far from your home. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, and then the third daughter, of course, you know, imagining at the beginning that she's going to marry a lovely man, uh, you know, marries a, a Russian and is dead is, to her father. Yeah, yeah, ostracised yeah. by her community. Completely yeah. cut off. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, again, starts off very jolly and then goes very dark. Yeah. Quite I, sudden. I mean, it is nice that they have that moment of reconciliation at the end, so it isn't like... Yes, yes, he does... Uh, you know, yeah, make an attempt at reconciliation. You're, you're right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, musicals of this time, they, you know, often we point out how, you know, uh, just frothy they are. But a yeah. lot of them have quite dark scenes in them uh, where, you know, somebody will die or, uh, you know, somebody gets in real danger or somebody's life really goes downhill. Yeah. Uh, and often those aren't the songs or the scenes that people remember of no. Oklahoma or South Pacific or something like that. But, you know, when you sit and think about what happens to some of these characters, there's you know, often quite dark stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, West Side Story is the most famous of those where, you know, a love story goes incredibly badly wrong. Yes. Uh, and you end up on really quite depressing notes at the end. Yeah. Uh, not quite as depressing as Fiddler on the Roof, I think. I would have to say that was slightly yeah. more depressing yeah. uh, in terms of its uh, where its characters end up. Um, but yeah, I mean, musicals, do a lot of them do have quite distinct messages in between all the froth. Yeah. Uh, and I think. Well, sometimes it's kind of like... Well, to quote Mary Poppins, the sort of spoon full of sugar to get the medicine down. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you know I'm I'm being flippant, but it does give you a more accessible way of talking about some some difficult subjects. Whereas, whereas if it's just like this is going to be a film that's a bit like Schindler's List, <laughs> it's like you can watch a certain number of films that are like that, but it's yeah, it, it by presenting it in this kind of package, you might get people who would have written off a film that's a drama about the breakup of, of the shtetl or mm-hmm. whatever. They're just going to go, yeah, do you know what? I don't think I will. Uh, and similarly, um, you might you might help people explore difficult ideas when they wouldn't normally have, yeah, have wanted to see something like that. So somebody might want to see a musical and actually you can open up quite interesting ideas yeah. through song. Because, like you say, it gives people the space to process the ideas and the storylines and and the themes as they're listening to songs. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you also get... Uh, thinking about films like Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, when... Oh, have you seen that? Yes, I have. Oh, it's okay. that I've not mi- seen it yet. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's that mix of laughter and and heartache and mm. violence and 
you know, lives destroyed. Actually, it's quite similar to a musical in the way that you have that, you know, laughter and heartbreak in uh, wrapped up uh, in songs yeah. and things like that. Yeah, because there's a there's a lot that's funny in the, in in this film. You know, more of it coming towards the beginning. Yeah, admittedly, but yeah, um, yeah, like the line I line I quoted. Most of them aren't like jokes per se. It's just it's all about the tone of voice and the kind of like slightly sarcastic response. Yes. But yes, it is, it is an interesting yeah, way of discussing more difficult. Things. It is, it is, um, yeah. yeah. Does it make you want to explore the sort of original uh, short stories that it's actually, actually, yeah, and it, it makes me want to find out more about the Pale of Settlement that, you know, was set up initially by Catherine the Great, incidentally great song by the Divine Comedy called Catherine the Great, it's hilarious. Okay, I'll have, uh, have, have a look on that one. Uh, but uh, and developed from there, yeah. And actually, let's find out, you know, why that was, why that happened, and why they chose to settle people only in this place and not allow them to, yeah. to go out anywhere else. Uh, and then what the effect was after, after the First World War, when a lot of Jewish people who would have been in those in the settler, the Pale of Settlement, ended up in different countries. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and how that you know, changed things and would affect, like, like you said, later on with the Second World War and then the pers- persecution by the yeah, Germans yeah. rather than the, um, the, uh, Russians. the Russians this time around. So it does make me want to go out and find out more about the history, actually. Uh, and I suppose the stories by... Uh, oh, no, uh, what, was he, what was he called? Uh, Sholem Alechem. Alechem, that's it. Uh, and those stories would be, yeah, all couched in that, um, that yeah. culture and the history of... Of what was happening. So. Yeah, I really want to uh, read it to, to kind of compare because obviously, as a writer himself, he would have grown up in in these places mm. rather than you know seeing a version of that place through reading about it rather yeah. than actually having lived there. Where the film, where you know, which the filmmakers and the actors and all the people involved would have done. Mm. You know, and I would be interested to see how close the versions are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've, I've heard it's kind of the original is grittier, which makes sense. <laughs> yes. It'd be interesting to see, you know, to what extent. Yeah. And, and how westernized those, uh, the stories that were picked for the, mm. for the show and how, you know, how westernized they are, they became in order that people might be hooked in. And Yeah. And um, are they as funny? I mean, I suspect they would be because, um, one of the things that people said about Shoal and Alechem, I, I remember reading, was that he was the Jewish Mark Twain. Oh, yes, I read that too. Supposedly, yeah. Mark Twain, when he heard this, um, said, no, no, I'm, uh, um, I'm the American Shoal and Alechem, which yeah. is interesting. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that means they're sort of the same, like, wry sort of... And Russian yeah, literature particularly is full of that kind of wry, slightly downbeat, slightly... Slightly downbeat. Slightly downbeat. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm westernising my music. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, slightly surreal humour in a way, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yes. yeah, we're added with, you know... Yes, I mean, I kind of think the uh, the graveyard uh, scene in, in this could have been sort of slightly uh, Gogol-esque. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. All right, so I think that's where we should uh, leave the discussion. Thank you very much, Alex, for being a wonderful guest. Oh, you're welcome. It was great fun. Thanks very much. So, das wird ein Jahr
So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media... Please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now.